Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. It always comes to an end. No one can play forever. Uh, you get into this game, you make yourself uh, a, a career in the NFL, and at some point you develop a little confidence, you start to feel good about yourself, you walk past the cut guy at the front door. Um, but no matter who you are, it ends. Um, you cannot play forever. Yesterday was the uh, the end for Emmanuel Sanders, who put together a fantastic career. Um Three Super Bowls, one Super Bowl victory, 704 receptions, almost uh, 10,000 yards in receiving, 9,200 yards, 51 touchdowns. Um, his, his quote, which I love, is, I gave it my all. Every single rep, every single play, I tried to give 100% as hard as I can. And that's why I can hang my hat and give my, and I gave the game everything I had, and the game gave it back to me. Um, I've talked about walking away from your football experience with with no regrets. Um, I think Emmanuel Sanders can do that. I think you, when you invest yourself emotionally, physically into the game and you give it your all, when the end comes, however it comes for you, you want to be able to walk away with no regrets of, uh, I wish I could have, would have, if I I had only done this, if I had only done that. Um, uh, So uh, tip of the cap to Emmanuel Sanders. Um, Put together a, you know, his best years with the Broncos all Three of his uh, 1,000 yard seasons were with the Broncos. Uh, I think played 14 games last year with uh, Buffalo. Uh, did okay out there, definitely towards the end of his career. Said he was getting calls about this season, but decided to hang it up for long term health concerns and be able to retire his, uh, go out his own way. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that for guys who want to have that. Um, some guys kind of want to go out on their shield. Other guys want to have the the press conference. Emmanuel Sanders clearly has an opportunity in broadcasting to move forward into that next realm of life. Um, So, yeah, uh, tip of the cap to Emmanuel Sanders. But the investment of yourself in the game, that the game will give you back what you put into it. Clearly, he poured a lot of himself into it, got a lot out of it, and now can walk away with his head held high um, and, again, without no regrets. Uh, I think that's always the way to do it. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders, 5'11", 180 pounds, not at all a big receiver. But to me, when I think about the uh, the way he played, he played bigger than that. He was a tough receiver, the the point of contact. I mean, I, I can just close my eyes and, and picture a lot of downfield, difficult, contested, physical catches he had to make where he's bouncing off the turf and he's holding on to the ball. It takes a, a very refined skill set for a receiver who can – who can simultaneously focus on snatching the football with your hands and also getting pummeled on your body, landing on your back, uh, getting hit in the head and chest and things like that. Emmanuel Sanders talked yesterday at his presser about, hey, you can you can measure my height, you can measure my arms, you can measure my legs, you can't measure my heart. Mm. And that was another good quote that I appreciated from him. And, and anybody who watched him play knows that he played with his heart. And he did get to go out. On his own terms, which is a very, very rare occurrence for football players to actually say, you know what? I'm going to have a press conference and I'm going to retire. Most guys, man, it happens in the shadow of the night. 
most guys in the shadow of the night, or most guys <clears throat> want to ramp it up one more time, and then the you know the handwriting becomes clear on the wall for Jerry Rice, maybe the greatest football player of all time, want to give it one more shot, you know, with Mike Shanahan and Denver Broncos, and you were there when Jerry Rice retired. Yeah, I was there. I was I was in the room when he announced it. That was in 2005, and Jerry was trying to make our team, and and the writing was on the wall that he was going to have to be the number four wide receiver on our team behind Charlie Adams. Charlie Adams is the guy who put Jerry Rice into retirement. That's a good tri- trivia question, but you know, Coach Shanahan was a a classy coach and was not going to cut Jerry Rice. He made it clear to Jerry that look, our number four receiver needs to play special teams, and so you probably won't suit up for the games. And Jerry ain't going to play if he's not suiting up. Jerry ain't going to play if he's not catching the ball because that's what Jerry does, right? right. So it, it, it adds some context to the to the way a team is constructed and then the conversations we've been having over the last month about the receiving uh, room on this Broncos team. We want like we were talking about, oh, yeah, Jalen Virgil catches the rock, did some really good things in the receiving game in preseason, but how likely is it that Jalen Virgil is going to be on the field, you know, instead of Cordell Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler catching balls. So these guys need to be contributing on special teams or they don't suit up. Montreal, Washington, special teams contributor. He might get on the field on offense, but it's because he'll be suiting up uh, for special teams. Um, so Emmanuel Sanders did talk about getting into TV right off the bat. You know, he's got a TV gig lined up. Um, your transition was a little different. Your process of getting into broadcasting. Why didn't you go right into it, Chad? I had my reptile thing, and I thought I don't want to. I want to establish a life away from football, and I thought it was important for me to just do something different. I've been playing football since I was six years old, and I retired when I was thirty-eight. And I thought, you know, let me find a, a little bit more regular path to life. Thirty-two straight years of football. Yeah. Wow, dude. Yeah. It's amazing you walk in here every day. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Thanks, Mom and Dad. They gave me some really good jeans. I can't even take credit for that. Well, what, what kind of jeans are those? <laughs> the brown Jordash? family No, brown family jeans. Thanks. You're wearing Jordash. Yes. Uh, so, Do they still make Jordash? I, had, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, man, I, I wanted to establish a life away from the game, and, you know, I did that. And it was a lot of fun. But the calling to football is always super strong, and that football part of your, your psyche and who, who you are uh, never really goes away. So to ignore that for a few years, which I did, and then get back in now as a broadcaster um, has been fun, but I, I'm, I'm happy that I established a, a life away from the game. And even my you know retirement story, everyone can't be Peyton or Elway or Jerome Bettis and have your last game be a Super Bowl victory. Um, some guys are Emmanuel Sanders, and you, you, know, you finished last year with uh, Buffalo. And the year before that, you were in New Orleans. And the year before that, you were in San Francisco. You kind of bounce around. But he got to have his retirement press conference. I didn't even have a press conference. I got released by Bill Belichick as he was eating grapes in a team cafeteria. We all got our own football stories. Uh, but so again, you didn't go back and, like, retire a Seahawk or retire a Steeler or do any kind of no, thing like no that? No press conference, no one-day contract, none of that. You just faded into the night. I just faded into the night and started breeding snakes, man. And then... Six years later, I was like, oh, I think I got some football things to say people might want to hear. So for six years, you didn't talk football, you didn't watch it, you didn't go to it. No, I watched, football. It. I watched football. I was all about it. Yeah, you're still all about it. Yeah, it's still part of who I am, but I didn't I didn't make money. I didn't talk into cameras and microphones. Yeah, man, Um, you know, it, mine was a circuitous route back to this here, talking on the mic about it. I was writing about it for sure and pitching ideas and in the real world and sending out emails and 
you know, trying to get jobs, and the lady told, asked me to send her a link, so I mailed her some sausage. <laughs> I didn't get the job, Chad. It took me a while to navigate the realities of the real world, you job. know? I'm still waiting on that call. Look, um, there's a lot of stuff we still got to pour into in this article, some implications here. Um, again, I want to re- reiterate this. There's not a football player in the NFL who doesn't want a bigger role, who doesn't want the ball, who doesn't want to cook. Yeah, Russ wants to cook. So do some other players on the Broncos. Will there be too many cooks in the kitchen? We'll get into that next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. She's simply Day 191 of the Billy Ocean cheer campaign. Number 91 has, well, a few players over over the years. Dennis Rodman wore number 91, didn't he? Okay, Fedorov. Tom Bali. Oh, my God, KG, Kevin Green. Yeah. Steven Stamkos. Chris Long climbed, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with Chris Long for his charity. Meta World Peace. Fletcher Cox. Justin Tuck. Yeah. Some good dudes. Some good dudes. Ryan Kerrigan. Yeah. All right, so, hey, it's it's the NFL season is upon us. Tonight, the, the Bills face off against the Super Bowl champions, the Rams. And, Chad, you and I in the break were just talking about um, some of the other intriguing matchups. The Panthers playing the, the, Brown, uh, the Browns. Yeah. Uh, that should be interesting. Um, Baker Mayfield revenge game on Sunday. The Raiders playing the Chargers to start things off. We always played the Raiders to start off the season when I was here. It was always a Monday night game. It was always in Oakland, and we always mopped them up. It was a great time. Um, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Raiders perform with Josh McDaniels as their coach. Has he learned from his mistakes as a head coach? When he knew the X's and O's, but he didn't know the people. He wasn't a people person. He's Do your job! And quit making stuff up. Um, has he learned? Has Brandon Staley learned? That he can't just rely on analytics all the time. Sometimes you got to make the decision yourself, coach. You have to put it on you. Don't put it on the numbers. You know, you have to feel the pulse of the game and make the right choice for your team. Will Brandon Staley learn how to call a game better. Um, those are really important factors as to the fate of these Broncos who are fixing to play the Seahawks on Monday night. Now, uh, before the break, we talked about cooks in the kitchen. Russ wants to cook. Okay, Russell has 292 career touchdown passes. Okay, mm-hmm. He needs two more touchdown passes to tie Carson Palmer for 14th most in NFL history. Okay, he needs eight more touchdowns to reach 300 for his career, becoming only the fifth fifth active quarterback to reach that milestone. Do you think Russell Wilson is aware of where he stands in, in regards to those stats? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So considering that, he knows where he's at. He wants to cook. Wouldn't it be nice to throw three or four in Seattle, put him ahead of Carson Palmer, and go out there and uh, be the guy who's cooking? But on the other on the other hand, you have a Broncos running game that was the absolute strength of this team last year. Okay, um, 
Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon both went over 900 yards last year. That's only been done five times since 2000, okay? And it hasn't been done since 2011. Um, the Broncos were one of the teams to do that in 2005. Can you name those two running backs that both went over 900 yards in 2005? Anybody out there? Willis McGahee? Nope. Hmm. Nope. Nope. I'll let you ruminate on that. Okay. But the point is the strength of this team last year was the running game. Okay? Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon has the second most yards from scrimmage of any running back in the NFL since 2015. This team and their passing game might take a little while to come along. So will they want to lean on their running game in Seattle? And does that fly in the face of what Russ is trying to do in his return to Seattle? Are you trying to win? Are we trying to win games? Are we trying to get you know Russ records? Are we trying to win games or trying to get Russ MVP? So it kind of it's, it's an extension of this article that we talked about for most of the show. I ran the, down the stat two days ago. You have a hundred yard rusher, you get you win seventy three percent of games. You have a three hundred yard passer, you win sixty percent of your games. So running the ball is going to be important for this offense that is going to be operating together for the first time under real live action. Uh, the run game, I think, is a b- little bit of a simpler process than the execution needed in the pass game. The timing, the, the placement on the field, all those pieces coming together. And for Russ to just go out there and be incredible and, and cook in game one feels less likely than leaning on the run game, your two quality running backs, and having those guys um, power the victory on Monday night. A lot of folks texting in with their answer to the question, which two running backs of the Broncos in 2005, both eclipsed 900 yards. Some of you getting one of them right, one of them wrong. Several Mike Anderson, Olandis Gary uh, comments. Mike Anderson's correct. Olandis Gary, not so much. Uh, someone saying uh, Mike Bell, not Mike Bell, the other Bell. Mike Anderson, Tatum Bell. Tatum Bell. There we go. Tatum Bell. And um, Mike Anderson broke 1,000 yards that year. He had 1,014 yards. Tatum Bell had 921 Mike Anderson had 12 touchdowns, and Tatum Bell had eight touchdowns. So between them, they, they, they accounted for 20 touchdowns on, on the ground. Last year, those guys did eclipse 900 yards, but they didn't get in the end zone as much. Uh, so hopefully that thing turns around this year. But with a running game so potent and the historical precedent of Russell Wilson's success being based on a strong running game and play action, it's up to Nathaniel Hackett, really, to kind of regulate this thing and balance this offense. Do you think there's any pressure on Nathaniel Hackett to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands and have him cook in his revenge game in Seattle? Or do you think he can stick to the game plan? I think there's pressure, yeah. I I think with Russell Wilson comes pressure to use Russell Wilson in ways that he wants to be used. Russell Wilson's quarterback coach is around the facility. He's got his body person and his nutritional person. You can't escape Russell Wilson in that facility on an away trip. Uh, headed to Seattle. They got they need rooms in the hotel. They need seats on the plane. There's all that that comes with Russ. So, yeah, Nathaniel Hackett can't put Russ out of his mind ever. There's certainly going to be pressure uh, to, you know, use Russ and have him play well, particularly in Seattle, particularly as this is the, you know, you know quote-unquote revenge game. At the same time, you've got to ignore all that pressure and do what's going to be best for the Denver Broncos and find a way to win this game. And again, I'm I'm assuming that the pass offense, as it was with Peyton Manning, it's going to take a couple of weeks to get rolling in year one. Therefore, lean upon the run game, lean upon the defense. 
I know it's a little bit early here, but where are you leaning in this game? Um, I, uh, based on your previous comments, Chad, about about teams that had a soft camp versus teams that actually went hard in camp, you're probably leaning towards taking the Seahawks. No, I don't think the Seahawks have enough firepower offensively to beat the Broncos. Um, but I totally don't think that what the training camp process in my mind, is the best way to propel your team to be excellent in week one. And I think Nathaniel Hackett would agree with that statement because he talked about he wants to come out of training camp. His number one goal is to be super healthy. Not to hit the ground running in week one, he has stated multiple times, is to come out of training camp, number one thing was to be healthy. He talked about late in the season and December and all that stuff. He did not talk about... But do you think that's a little bit of hyperbole? Because obviously he knows the number one thing is to be good at football. It's not to be healthy. It's to go out and win games. It doesn't matter if you're healthy if you suck at football, does it, Chad? It doesn't matter if you're healthy in week 18 if you're if you're 5 and, and, and 11 going into it. I can only say what the guy said. No, but I'm asking Re- you, do you think he's kind of... Uh, repeatedly he said this. Right, but do you think... Uh, he's placing a premium on health over a premium on being a good football team? Not over being a good football team. I think he wants to be a good football team, but he has talked about being good later in the season, not hitting the ground running on week one. So uh, I think he understands that his process, if you were to balance the scales, lends itself more to health and being healthy later in the season versus hitting the ground running in week one. That's the choice he made with his training camp and off-season process is, yeah, we're not going to be firing on all cylinders in week one. And he's okay with that. That's the choice that he made. Now, is the opponent, the Seattle Seahawks, good enough to take advantage of that coaching choice? I don't think they have enough offensive firepower, particularly with the guys under center, to get that done. But if Seahawks were to find a way to win this game, I would not be completely surprised based on the incomplete team that the Broncos have going into this game. Because we don't know who they are, and how could we know who they are? They haven't shown who they are. Nathaniel Hackett can talk about being confidence, confident, not having any nerves about this game and not being nervous. He's got to be a little bit because you don't know who your team is under fire, under real action. But don't get it twisted, guys. Nathaniel Hackett wants to throw the ball deep. He wants to go deep. He's talked about that being a philosophy of this offense is to take vertical shots, and you've got the guy to do it. Cortland Sutton, since 2018, is third in the AFC behind Tyreek Hill and Mike Williams in big plays. Okay, a big play is 25 yards or more. Cortland Sutton has 36 of those things. Okay, and he he's the he's the third quickest Bronco to 2,500 receiving yards. DT. Took 40 games. B. Marsh took 41. Cortland took 44. That's big play potential right there in Cortland Sutton. And isn't that why we brought Russell Wilson here to get the ball deep to these guys in a way that quarterbacks of the Broncos haven't been able to do? I think deep balls will be there. Jamal Adams is safety for Seattle's, you know, not he's more of an in-the-box guy. There's opportunity there. Um, And if you run the ball, then play action is going to be open. Uh, play-action opportunities will come, and Russ has certainly shown he can do play-action and throw the ball deep. Now, Seahawks going to be prepared for some play-action? They should be. I'd imagine Pete Carroll's familiar with Russ and his ability to do play-action. Um, but to your point, yeah, you can still be a run-focused, heavy, run-game-plan team and throw deep balls and be successful at it. You know who's got the longest pass play in the NFL since 2020? 
Nope. Not Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy. 92-yard touchdown against the Raiders. Nice. In 2020, that still stands over the last couple of years. Um, if you want to hear more football talk today, you got to check out the fan. Noon to 2, Fan War Room season preview special. It's going down to Brothers Barbecue off I-25 in Arapahoe. Orlando, Chad, and Noshawn are going to join Stokely and Zach and uh, really get into to the nuts and bolts of this thing. All right, Pete Carroll is pulling out all the stops to get the Seahawks motivated for Monday night. Will it be enough? We'll get into that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. I don't feel like that at all. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like any, any part of any of that is, is that's true, other than the fact that that's what people think, you know. So I'm not in that business now. I'm in the business of helping these guys get ready to play. And, and with all of the work that we do and all of the mentality and the culture and the environment that we're in, we've been averaging 10 wins a year for the last 20-something years, you know. I, you think I could think anything different than that? I don't. It's not about the players. It's about the system, Chad. And Pete Carroll believes in his system. Or does he? Is he fibbing a little bit there? Is he a little scared that Russell Wilson is gone and that he's got someone else under center? Or does he believe that his team philosophy, the way he structures uh, his roster and his game plan is unchanging? And it doesn't matter which guy is back there. They're going to find a way to win. Uh, unchanging, no, because he's changing some of his defensive style this year uh, versus what he's done in the past. But his overall philosophy. How's he changing his style? Uh, they're not the same cover three. Uh, cover three style that they were when the Legion of Boom was there. They're, they're changing their defensive style. They went with a different defensive coordinator who was outside of kind of the, the Pete system. Um, you know, last year he was Ken Norton Jr., who uh, was a longtime coach there, linebacker coach up in Seattle. So there, there is some evolution. I won't call it change, but evolution. But his philosophy remains the same. His philosophy hasn't changed. Play great defense. Be physical in the run game and have your quarterback be efficient. So um, is there a certain Russell Wilson-ness um, that's going to be missed? Yeah, there is. I'll, I'll, but having been inside of that facility and that organization in those meeting rooms with Pete, Pete's got a pretty clear philosophy about how he wants to win football games. And again, I've told this story a few times. The last day in Seattle before I left to come back to Denver after my internship there, um, his piece, one of his last words were to me, figure out what kind of coach you are. You need to have a, a complete overarching philosophy through which you view the game, which means this is how I'm going to coach. This is how I'm going to structure things. So everything will be a reflection upon how I want to go out and win football games. That's going to be my philosophy as a coach, which will then inform me whenever I want to make a decision. Even if that flies in the face of a transcendent player that comes in and takes this team by storm and is obviously able to do things that players you've played with as a coach before or coach weren't able to do. That won't adapt your philosophy, knowing that you've got a guy, a special guy that can do things you've never seen before. You still stick to your guns. I think Pete would say his guns tell him we won a Super Bowl when Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract and we were paying defensive players and we had Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. And then we went to the Super Bowl the next year and we lost on a fluky play call. Um, That's how we were good. And you were trying to let Russ cook on that play. Well, that's what the you know uh, the, the football geniuses uh, told them. Hey, they're in this defense, therefore we have to do this. So, but be that as it may, 
I think Pete would say, hey, we had our most success, our most playoff victories when we were a defense-based team and we were a ground-based team when it wasn't let Russ cook. That's where we had our most success. And while Russell Wilson has got a lot of money and brought a lot of uh, splash to Seattle, there's not a lot of playoff wins to show for it once it became the Russ show. So, yeah, now I'm going to bring it back to the Pete show because that's where I got my Lombardi trophy. So part of this ESPN article written by Brady Henderson, and that dropped yesterday and has caused some ripples uh, in the sports world, alluded to a 2019 game against the Falcons after going up 24-0 at halftime as kind of this moment um, where it sort of became apparent that Russell Wilson was in it for a different reason than just finding a way to win. Um, They were up 24-0 at halftime. And they only attempted five passes in the second half, which Russell believed cost him an opportunity uh, at taking a lead in the MVP race. So, Chad, the idea is that Pete Carroll was intentionally taking his foot off the gas. And the numbers, I guess, support that idea. But the reasons for it maybe are a mystery. You're talking about this is his philosophy. Was he trying to limit turnovers? Yeah. Was he trying to play his brand of football? Or was he trying to sabotage <laughs> Russell Wilson and keep him from growing larger than he already was? Is that part of his philosophy that you're not special, man? And so I can't allow you to feel that you're bigger than the team. And if I do that, then we're lost. I don't think coaches are making those kind of decisions on the sideline. Was Mike Holmgren trying to prevent Sean Alexander from getting the rushing title? Um, when he uh, didn't give him the ball down there at the goal line and gave the ball to the fullback, which was another, you know, Seahawk uh, point of consternation for a number of years. No, Mike Holmgren wasn't trying to. He just didn't know that Sean Alexander had an opportunity to win the rushing title. He had no idea. He didn't know that? He did not know. Come on, with all these press releases, all these reporters asking questions, all these coaches pouring over stats and numbers, Mike Holmgren didn't know that. He may, he may have known pregame. But in that moment, was he trying to deny Sean Alexander? No, he wasn't. But I tell you what, I've never seen a sadder dude in the locker room in all my years outside of guys who lost the Super Bowl. Sean was crushed, crushed. It felt very personal to Sean. He did, it, it grew a, a rift between he and Mike, and I just thought, come on, man. He wasn't doing it to you personally. If it was so important to you, maybe you should have said something. But at this point, it's over and done with. Mike wasn't trying to stick something to you. He wasn't trying to deny you your greatness. Uh, it was a coach focused on trying to win a football game. And this was the, the, the call on his play sheet they thought would get us in the end zone, calling a run to the fullback. And so just, just as Mike was not trying to diss Sean Alexander, Pete was not trying to shrink Russell Wilson's uh, uh, standing in the Seahawks organization and take away his MVP. He was a coach trying to win a football game, man. That's it. That is it. All the trying to manage the ego of, of Russell Wilson. No. Okay. No. No. I, I just I, I just don't see it. If anything, Pete is a coach who wants you to be you. Be beast mode. Tell tell everybody at the Super Bowl, I'm only here because I won't get fined. There was no pushback from Pete on any of that. Pete wants you to be whatever character you want to be so you can play as great as you can possibly play. He's not trying to deny you your personality or your greatness or your accolades or your awards. It's not how Pete rolls. Well, Pete was talking about how he's had average 10 wins for the last 20 years. Some of those have been in the NFL. Some of those have been in college. 
Another good weekend of college football is ahead of us, Chad. What will we be watching? I'm going to run that by you next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. All right, Chad, another college football weekend starting off. I think there are a couple games on Friday, but mostly on Saturday, and I think the most intriguing matchup, at least locally, Colorado Buffaloes at, at Air Force. And Air Force is favored by 17 in this game. Um, they're going to face Air Force at Falcon Stadium for the first time since 1974. And Air Force looks pretty pretty tough to beat, led by Troy Calhoun. Troy Calhoun was an assistant with the Broncos back in the day. Yep. And was my he was an assistant wide receiver coach when I was a wide receiver here. Troy is a, a man who has attention to detail. He's passionate. He cares about the players, and he's doing a great job there. What do you think the, the CU Buffs' chances are of going into Falcon Stadium and getting a win? Well, Air Force put up 48 against uh, Northern Iowa last week. Uh, CU had their second half meltdown against TCU. Could not stop the run at all. Uh, not from a physical standpoint, not from a schematic standpoint, nor could they, you know, make much progress offensively. It's a, it's a, the bus program is in a, is in a very down, sad place right now. It's, it bums me out, but I can't see a way where CU can win this game against the Air Force. Um, don't forget Air Force beat CU at CU. Uh, when Mel Tucker was the coach, when the program was beginning to have a, a bit of an up arrow and things were looking optimistic for the Buffs, uh, Air Force came in there and ran the ball effectively. But what really beat CU was uh, three big, deep touchdown passes off of play action. Air Force runs that option style. Uh, you spend so much time devoted defensively to dealing with that option, dealing with your assignments, who's got the fullback, who's got the quarterback, who's got the tailback, who's got the jet sweep with that receiver peeling around, who's got the all his responsibilities. Somewhere in that, uh, there's going to be four or five play-action passes called by uh, the Air Force coaches, and they're going to hit a couple of them. So your safeties have to be exceptionally smart and really on their keys to in order to deal with that. Um, I didn't see a whole lot from the Buffs defense, which makes me think they can, number one, stop the run of Air Force. Um, but number two, I don't think they're going to be able to stop the pass because once they try to deal with the run and put some guys in the box, then those safety's going to be left on some islands and Air Force is going to hit a couple of deep balls on them. So um, the 17-point underdog, uh, as much as it hurts me and my Buffalo football heart, it feels accurate and it may be under. What's your take on the on the Buffs' quarterback controversy? Because they played two guys last week, and you know Pete Carroll says if you got two guys, you got two guys. But <laughs> but maybe for the rest of the team, the lack of cohesion is a struggle for them. Like the receivers, the line, you know, trying to adapt to a different play style, uh, the cadence, the, the 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 communicator in the huddle, just the way they carry themselves. Every quarterback is different the way they operate on offense. So. Should it be Brendan Lewis, who was 13 of 18 for 78 yards last week? Or should it be J.T. Shrout, who was 13 of 23 for 157 yards in a tugboat? I'm going to go with J.T. Shrout. Uh, Brendan Lewis clearly was not ready last year for for prime time. Um, And he was put into an unfortunate situation. So I was willing to kind of push aside last year and go, the kid was thrust into a situation. He just didn't have the experience, reps, uh, hadn't built up enough skill set to be able to excel in that. Um, but now to see the, more of the same from him here in week one uh, last week, uh, maybe it's time for, for JT. Um, JT, I think, has a better skill set. 
he seems like he was pressing and trying to do a little too much. So if he can be reined in a bit and play within himself, I think he gives the Buffs a better chance for success. Um, but again, I think it's just going to be a rough down year for the Buffs overall. And regardless of who was under center, they're not suddenly going to be a, a bowl eligible team. The schedule's too, too tough. There's uh, some quality teams in the Pac 12 still left. And uh, the Buffs are struggling on both sides of the football. Someone texting in, Chad, go coach CU and bring him back. Um, I've talked about this a number of times with the situation with the Pac-12 as far as uh, conference money coming from TV packages. Pac-12 is going to be further behind with the lack of a big-name booster uh, who's got a ton, hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to pay these kids NIL dollars. The Buffs are going to be further behind. But do you think if Chad Brown was a head coach, those NIL dollars would maybe start flowing more? Uh, I don't think so. I no. mean, he, who's this billionaire Look booster? what Deion Sanders is doing at Jackson State. Yeah, it's working out for him in Jackson State. Who's to say it wouldn't work out for Chad Brown? Well, because Deion Sanders can go to a, a national brand and say, hey, my guys need suits for travel. And they give him the whole team suits for travel. Uh, I don't have those kind of connections. Doesn't, so, doesn't your wife work in suits? Doesn't she do that? I mean, you she, got the hookup right there. She does. She sells suits. Right. So she does not have the pull to get 95 kids or 110 kids suits to be able to travel in. So well, if you get the right guys on your team and they get NIL money, they'll buy suits for everyone else. Those guys, they're, they're, those kind of dollars just aren't coming up for Boulder. Kids are leaving I think CU had the third or fourth most transfers out of the program last year in NCAA football because kids were leaving to take dollars other places. Who's the richest CU alum? Mm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, that is a really good question. We've got the uh, the oil guy, the, the fracking guy here in Colorado. For Where's years. he at? Yeah. Why isn't he involved? It's no skin off his teeth. Is it? Doesn't he care about the fate of the football program? Yeah, you know, apparently he's got other fish to fry. But, you know, I've talked about this before. Miami's got a billionaire booster who's paying basketball players a couple hundred grand a year. A couple hundred grand, huh? 400, I think 450. Uh, He's got one guy he's paying 400 grand a year, another guy he's paying 450,000 a year. And there's an incoming freshman quarterback who's getting $9.3 million as his NIL deal. What? Yes. $9.3 million. Yes. Wow. To play quarterback for the Miami Hurricanes. Wow. So if... If that is how quarterbacks are making their college decisions, I'm not sure how the Buffs get one. Or if they find a way to get one, how do they keep one? Clearly, they're waiting on that transcendent, energetic, optimistic coach to come in and take that program by storm. I think Carl Durrell is a good coach. No I, doubt. I, I really do think he is a good coach. But the, the lay of the land just puts CU in such a very, very difficult spot there's just so much money in other places and other conferences. Why would a great coach go there uh, when he can go to the Big Ten and make you – know, Mel Tucker went from $6 million bucks the year after he left the Buffs to now he's almost $10 million bucks because he got a, a, an extension from Michigan State. So you can't compete with that. There's just not that – those dollars aren't coming in from the TV uh, contracts for the Pac-12. Okay, the texts are saying, okay, I guess he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love the opportunity. I just know that it would be an uphill climb. Uh, a fun little statistic for you guys before we get out of here. Um, last year in the NFL, Russell Wilson played 14 games. Okay, He went 6-8. and eight. He threw for 3,113 yards, 25 touchdowns. Teddy Bridgewater played in 14 games. He went 7-7. Seven and seven. 
He threw for 3,052 yards and 18 touchdowns. Not a huge difference there between Teddy and Russell Wilson. So what do we expect from Russell Wilson? Teddy Bridgewater 2.0? Stokely and Zach? (laughs) They're up next, and they're going to discuss this and more. Stick around. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.